when I when I lost my father, um, I think it's just like not having a father figure like growing up. I didn't have much of guidance like of of what what should I do, um, like what I, I was just a little confused. Like I was running around trying to figure figure life out, right? Um, and I really realized like our time here is we all have an expiry date. Like we're all gonna go one day, and that's a fact, right? Uh, we just don't know when that date is. And I realized I wanted to do something bigger, bigger with my life than. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, we have Eric Kulam on with us today. I am so excited for this episode because Eric is in the heart of his freedom journey. I know a lot of times we bring on guys that have reached the finish line or on the other side, but we think it is so valuable to bring stories to you guys of people that are in the journey, particularly from Eric, because this dude is like 25 years old. He's still almost a baby at this point, yet he's taken massive strides, massive actions. So you can get some insights from someone who's still on the journey, still hunting, still new to the game, but yet is getting success early on. Eric made his first offer back in 2018, three days after his, what, 22nd birthday, which is just crazy. So he was minded early on to be financially free. And we're going to get into some of the elements of his story where he shares those things. So stay tuned throughout the, uh, the whole episode. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited. Can you tell us about your craziest experience so far you've had in real estate in the short number of years? Yeah, awesome, Matt. First of all, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm um, always enjoy sharing my journey. Um, I haven't reached my financial freedom yet, but I'm well on the, on the path and uh, I'm always happy to share what I've learned and uh, just enjoy speaking with other successful people like yourself. So thanks for having me on. Um, so for, for, we'll just jump right in, I guess, for my, um, my craziest story in real estate. Um, so I started wholesaling. I've been, I've been investing since 2018. Like you mentioned, um, put an offer in after my 20th birthday, um, started buying rental properties. And then just the last couple of years is when I actually started looking into more active income. Uh, so I, I started looking into wholesaling. Um, and for those of you who aren't sure what wholesaling is, is when um, the us as an investor, we find a property that's under market value and we sell that contract to another investor for, for a fee. Um, so I looked into that, uh, it requires low money, just requires hustle and time. And, um, so I'll cut right to the story. So I, I found, I found a nice, uh, single family home. Uh, and it was definitely a fixer upper needed a good cleanup. It was in an A plus neighborhood. Um, I've been going back and forth with the seller for over five months, just back and forth, like following up with them. Um, it was uh, his his mom's home. She was uh, she was older. She was moving into a retirement home, so he wanted to uh, get rid of it. And so we finally agreed on a price. I locked it up. Uh, we super super excited about this place. Uh, I got a pretty well under like I, I want to say at least a hundred thousand dollars under market value. Um, and so. As soon as they got it under contract, I started um, advertising it to a few people in my network, like like buyers that, that were interested. Um, so I found a buyer, we walked through it. There was some junk around. There was your typical fixer upper, right? 
And so uh, in the contract, um, I had that the buyer was going to buy it as is in as is condition with with the current junk. Um, they were okay with doing the cleanup and all that after the closing date. Um, so all that settled. Uh, fast forward to closing day. Um, the house is in a, is in a way worse condition than what it was uh, when I walked through with the buyer. Uh, so the buyer was was really upset um, that there was a lot more work uh, involved in in his 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 budget now. Um, so I felt bad. I bought him a a, a dumpster rental like a dumpster bin, uh, just because you know I said you know what like it's my first wholesale like um, I just wanted to I. We only have one name, right? And I, I, I just like I was just like I want to have a good continue to have a good relationship with this buyer. Um, so I provided him with uh, a bit of a a bit of a discount, uh, basically more or less. Um, now that that's all settled. Now fast forward another few days, I get a call from the fire department, mm-hmm. and so they said, "Hey, Eric, do you own blah 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 um, on on?" example street right and i was like no i don't um but i did assign it to to a a buyer uh there is a new owner now uh he said okay well uh we unfortunately uh the house has burnt down um and i was like okay um i'll get you the contact information for the new owner and uh and so he didn't he didn't even know yet so i called it i called the new owner and I let him know, hey, like I got a call from the fire department. Um, I'm not sure if they called you yet, but they told me the house burnt down. And uh, I, I was what, just what, like, was he I was happy just or sad? Talk, right? So he, he was, he was really, really upset because he had just made a insurance claim, fire insurance claim for another property that had just burnt oh. down, like, <laughs> like maybe like six months before, right? And so he was like, oh, damn, like, like, doesn't look good because now, like, you know. Yeah, it, it, it looks, looks like, like he's I, setting I, this thing up, like, right? Little fire exactly. ring. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so the fire was suspicious, but what I've been told. But um, at the same time, I heard that the the owner um, had visited the property after closing because he had a few items that were left behind in the property. Um, and so I didn't get any more information. And I'm not pointing any fingers, but. Uh, that was my first wholesale deal that I'm always going to remember <laughs> because uh, that doesn't happen every day. <laughs> so you mentioned he visited the property and that's the last thing you said. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So dang, man, what an intro into real estate. Where where does your journey take you from there? So do you continue to wholesale or do you start buying? Yeah. So, so before, actually, before I was doing wholesaling, like I, I, I grew a portfolio rental properties and I've been using the burn method, um, and using creative financing. Um, I've done vendor take backs on deals where I've literally gotten paid on closing. Um, so none of my own money plus getting paid. Uh, I've been getting the last month's rent to cover the legal fees and all that. Um, and I've also done deals where um, wait, wait, let me just, stop you here. Let me stop you here. Last yeah. month's rent to pay the legal fees. Now, are you saying you're yeah. collecting rents from tenants before closing to pay for the legal fees to close the deal? No. So I'm not sure how it works out where you guys are, but here out here, what happens is on closing, um, the 
the, the, the lower, like the last month's rent is applied towards um, basically the purchase price. Like it, it, the lawyers take care I, of all, I, I all see the, what you're saying. So, so essentially yeah. the prorations of the tenants that are already in place, you should be getting the last month's rent, the security deposits, those types of things. And so you're saying, hey, okay, I'll take my, I'll take my inheritance now, so to speak, to pay for these legal fees, knowing that I'll have to pay them back later on when they leave or whatnot. More or less, like, because, so what this, I'll, I'll dive into the number, like, a bit more specific with this deal, but basically, um, this was a fourplex, and the seller was okay with holding a, a 20% uh, vendor take back, so, which was the down payment, right, as a second mortgage. Uh, so I had gotten a financial institution to hold the first mortgage, um, and then the seller was holding the down pay down payment basically, and and it so it just happened that all, all of the last month's rent um, combined was more than what the legal fees were. Uh, so I got a bit of a on closing day I got a check from my lawyer um, for basically purchasing the property. Obviously, when the tenants move out, you have to um give yeah. back the last month's rent but it was just it was just like a uh a, a huge mind shift it was like wow like like you can get so creative in in real estate and and a lot of people think you might need money or you might need you you, you either need skills and time or you need skills and money or you know it's it's money people deal at the end of the day it's just three people mm. right three three uh main main pillars Skills, time, and money, right? You don't have to have all of them for sure. In fact, you don't even have to have any of them really, but that's super cool. Let me ask you a question. So you didn't put down the down payment. Was the was the bank that did the first, were they aware of that? Yes, they were. Uh, so it was actually a B lender. Um, so it wasn't like a, out here we have our A lenders, which is like the big five banks, like Scotiabank, yeah. RBC, those guys. Um, and then we have like the credit unions, which are, they're more like, considered B lenders and they're a lot Sub more prime almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, the mortgage wasn't a residential mortgage. It was a commercial mortgage. Yeah. Um, and because it was a commercial, they look at the property itself. Um, they, they look at the debt service, uh, ratio. So for every dollar of, uh, expense, it needs to have at least a dollar 20 of income. And so that's, that's how I was able to grow my portfolio uh, with myself just having one source of income, which is my nine to five. That's awesome. And for those listening, like this is such a cool strategy. Make sure you talk to attorneys, legal representation, et cetera, on this, because once you start not paying down payments, you just want to make sure the banks are fully aware and all that stuff going on. Otherwise you might find yourself into legal trouble or even worse. Um, but cool. It sounds like you've done it right. So, um, yeah, man. So now you're buying properties with no money. In fact, you're actually getting paid. Does that just get you fired up? What happens from there? Well, that, that was more or less uh, like a one, uh, almost like a unicorn deal. But at the same time, um, you, you, I want, you want to have an exit strategy as well, because like, it's nice to, it's nice to be able to buy these properties with no money, but you want to, you want to have a, a way to pay that your, your, your vendor take back, um, back out when, when a term comes due, right? So, um, it's all about buying under market value force, forcing, appreciating the property and then paying out your, uh, your vendor take back on that property. Um, so that one was the only one that I actually got paid on closing, uh, which was like to my, it, it was, uh, definitely woke. It, it definitely like made me realize like, you know, you could scale without your own money. So 
And so, like, after after that one, that one, like, I, I, I bought it with emotions because the seller said he would he would hold the vendor take back. And I've been looking for a vendor take back forever. I was like, I need to find a deal with no money. Um, and when he when I finally found a seller that said he would, would hold a vendor take back, I got excited. And so that property, I closed on it. And, and and then I realized, you know what, like, there's a reason he was he was he wanted to hold this vendor take back on there. The property needed a lot of work. And I realized that um, the comparables in the area was just not wasn't supportive of what the after repair value would be on that property. So I ended up selling that property. Um, and I broke even on it. But I, I definitely learned um, to not buy with emotions and just buy based on numbers. Um, so my biggest learning lesson from that is um, basically, I was I was looking for no money down, but you want to have an exit strategy and, and you want to have a clear path on how you're going to exit that. Absolutely. You know, you'd be surprised how many people are still buying emotionally after doing it for like 20 years to a degree. Um, obviously, it's based on numbers, but, you know, a lot of people still <laughs> kind of lean to their heart a little bit. Um, very cool. So, I mean, I'd like to talk about this mistake you made a little bit and, and kind of dive into the details. So, I mean, it looks like your due diligence process, you might have missed some numbers there. Are you, or or what, what went wrong there? Did you just hit your ARV wrong or did you lean into the wrong person? Uh, so when I first walked through the property, I got a, I got a home inspector or building inspector to go through with me. Um, I always get an, an inspection done to make sure there's nothing too concerning. Um, if there's any major capital expenses that are coming down the road, at least I'll, I'll know to be prepared for those. Um, it was during the winter time when I, when I got the building ins inspection done, um, and the building did have a steel roof. Um, so I wasn't able to get the inspector to, to, uh, inspect the roof, but steel roofs are good forever, right? Like that's what we all think and, um, things like that. So after closing on the property, um, we, we had some phone calls from the tenants saying, you know, there was, there was some water seeping through the ceiling, through, through the ceiling. Um, and there was just a lot of little maintenance issues. Um, and so I got a, I got a roofer to go take a look on the roof. Um, and he told me that, uh, the metal roof was not installed properly. Um, all of the, all of the screws for the roof, um, they were, they were rusted out. Uh, the water was seeping through the, those little screws. Um, and it was just not, it was, it looked like a hack job. So it wasn't done properly at all. Um, so that right there, uh, was a major expense that I had never, um, planned for, uh, being that I, I thought, you know, it's a steel roof. It'll be good, you know, for another 20 years. Um, so that was one thing. The other thing is the exterior uh, needed a lot of um, a good cleanup. So it, it's an older stucco. It was like a stucco building. Um, so I was, I was getting quotes for getting new siding, um, just bringing up the curb appeal on, on the property. Um, and then the other thing too was the rents. The rents, the, the units were uh, rented under market value as well. So when I, when I added everything up and when I looked at, say, if I have to put in $20,000 in each unit and then I have to do the roof and I have to do the windows and I have to do all this stuff, I, I, I looked at the grand total like the, of the renovation cost. And then I looked at my ARV and I was like, yeah, it's just, I'm going to be leaving a lot of money into this place. Um, so for me, it just made more sense to just sell it, um, call it, 
you know, a, a good lesson and, uh, and then move on to the next properties. Certainly the way to look at it. When you said it's a steel roof, it would last forever. I'm like, my thought process would be the total opposite. It's like, it's a steel roof that is so expensive to fix. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's how you learn. Um, so cool, man. I mean, you've already been doing a lot of strategies. So you've already mentioned Burr. You've already mentioned DSCR loans and creative financing. What kind of mentorship are you getting? Or are you just like doing the YouTube game? Uh, I've had, I've worked with uh, a few different mentors. Um, my first one, uh, I started working with in 2019. Um, and so they had like a 12 week or sorry, a 12 month program. Uh, it was more like of a group coaching program. And that's where I learned a lot about creative financing. So seller financing using RSPs for you guys, it's 401ks, um, using private lenders, uh, promissory notes. That's where I learned a lot about uh, being able to scale a portfolio with low money. Um, and then I, I kind of took that and then I started applying it to the growth of my own journey. Right. Um, I took, I think I took about a year off from, from mentors and then I hired a second men, uh, a coach. Um, and that one was a lot more focused on mindset. Uh, and, and I realized like the biggest thing I've realized is, is your mindset is the biggest thing out of, whatever you're trying to achieve, it all comes down to your mindset. Um, and you, you can read a lot of books and you can, uh, just educate yourself as much as you want, but if you don't have the right mindset, it's just, things are not going to go your way. Totally. Speaking of mindset, I want to take you back a little bit. You're 10 years old. Your dad passes away. This obviously it was a very significant event in your life and it did kind of create the path that, that you're on now. Can you describe how your encounter with death at a young age and how it's impacted your career as a real estate investor? Yeah. Well, for me, like when I, when I lost my father, um, I think it's just like not having a father figure like growing up after, cause it, I was, I was 10 years old and I was almost felt like, uh, I didn't have much of guidance, like of, of what, what should I do? Um, like what I, I was just a little confused. Like I was running around trying to figure, figure life out. Right. Um, and I really realized like our time here is we all have an expiry date. Like we're all going to go one day and that's a fact, right? Uh, we just don't know when that date is. And I realized I wanted to do something bigger, bigger with my life than I knew I could do something big. Um, and I, I want to have that financial freedom to spend more time with my family, my friends. Uh, I just realized that's really important to me. Um, but going back to that, like it, it's not having, uh, a, a father growing up. It, it was a lot of just trying to figure out on my own, like what path should I take? Uh, who should I listen to? Um, I was looking up to a lot of my friends, uh, dads as well, which, which definitely helped me, um, learn a lot of things, uh, going forward. But I'm, I'm also kind of, I'm, I'm very grateful for, um, for the path that I've been on because, um, I don't think I, I, I definitely wouldn't be in this position if, um, I didn't go through what I went through. Um, maybe I would, I would have, I would have settled for, uh, a night, like, you know, I'd be settling for a nine to five job and, and getting sucked in the golden handcuffs. Um, and just because my, my dad's mindset and my mom's mindset was 
go to school, get good grades, go to college, get a good job, uh, save up for retirement. And then, you know, whatever you have left over, then that's what you live off of. Right. Um, but I think realizing that, um, I didn't have any, any restraint on my, on what I wanted to achieve. Like, um, it's, it's, it's helping me, uh, move a lot faster and quicker towards my goals. And did you, do you have brothers and sisters? I have a sister. Yeah. Yeah. And is that a younger sister or an older sister? Older sister, uh, three years older. Okay. How did like, how did that event change your sister? How did it change your mom? Did she have an equal reaction in the sense, maybe not becoming a real estate investor, but did you guys both like have a sense of, okay, we need to step up and fill the the gap there or how did she respond to it? As yeah. well? Um, I think like, obviously it took some time because she was also young. She was only 13 years old. Um, and that's when you like, she was, that's the age where you're kind of, even when you you're growing up, you have that certain phase where you don't want to talk to your parents. You just want to be on your own. You you're, you're a teenager, right? You're just exploring, you're doing your own thing. Um, and that's right when it happened. Um, and so like today she's, she's got a, she's got a really good job with uh, the government. Um, and she, uh, she's got her own home with, with her uh, fiance. Um, and so she's, she's, she's successful and she's doing very well. Um, and so I, I, I was just, I'm just really grateful because there's a lot of people that, that go through these challenges and they either play, um, the victim or they take it and they learn from it and they just improve from it. Right. Um, I could sit here all day and just play victim and then, uh, and, and choose to sit and do nothing, or I can, uh, learn from it and grow from it and, and apply it towards it, At the end of the day, it's, it's all, um, it, it's all lessons that I'm able to apply towards my goals, right? Absolutely, man. That is 100% the right mindset to have. So, I mean, I was just reading Cardone's book recently, the 10X marketing book, and he threw out some statistics about people that grow up, grow up without a father, excuse me. Like he literally said every single measurable statistic is worse, as in prison rates, incarceration, things like that. So did you end up getting into trouble when you were younger? Just curious. Um, I did miss a lot of school um, after about, I, I'd say six months after he passed, I, I probably, I, I didn't want to go to school for like a full year. Um, so I kind of got homeschooled for, for that full year. Um, and it was definitely, uh, it, it was definitely a, a rough time uh, trying to go through that. Um, I, I told myself like, I'm not going back to school. Like I, I I'm done. And, and uh, I just wanted to give up. Right. Um, but I ended up going back uh, after about a year and a half after, after he passed. Um, and then I didn't miss a year. I didn't miss a year since that, um, had good grades and, um, yeah. So for me, like I wasn't, uh, I know I've never been charged with a criminal record or anything like that, thankfully. So I was able to, um, to go down the right path. I would say, uh, I, I did realize a lot of successful people, um, they've all been through something, uh, in, in their, like, as, as they grow up, they've all been th gone through challenges, right? It's hard to be successful when, when everything's been so easy, because when you do go through challenges, then that's when you fall flat. So, um, I did realize that it's, it's, uh, 
it's kind of a reoccurring theme um, amongst a lot of successful people. Oh, that is without question. Um, nothing, anything that doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? I mean, it's it's totally true, without a doubt. It's just it's a matter of the way that you process the emotions and the way that you process your actions. Um, so you definitely have the right mindset there. Um, so curious here, um, since you lost your father at such a young age, were you searching for like a male role model and were you able to find one? Uh, for me, like I, I was definitely felt like I was lost. I was definitely searching for, for someone who could show me the right way as I was growing up as a man. And, uh, for me, it was just a lot of reading a lot of books. Like my mentors were, uh, like authors, like books, uh, podcasts, um, and it wasn't a physical, like it wasn't a physical person like in front of me, but it was a lot of um, education um, and and looking up to these people that are successful and kind of relating to their stories as well. Because a lot of these people have been through some challenging times as well. Um, it, it really helped me realize that I'm not alone. Uh, there's 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 people that have way worse <laughs> way worse problems than than we do. Uh, there's always going to be somebody who's gonna who who's going through work much worse, um, and that really uh, helped me uh, figure out that I I knew I was going to be okay. Um, at, at the end of the day, time time heals everything, um, and so yeah, like I didn't have a specific one one mentor growing up. It was more or less just kind of you know winging it as I grew up. So impressive that you were able to adopt the mindsets that you did. You were able to borrow your mentors, borrow the beliefs. Like I love the concept, as you pointed out, that your mentors don't have to be people that you're physically in contact with. It can be books and authors and so on and so forth. So just super impressive that you got into that space as early as you did, which obviously led you to real estate investing. So one of the things that I would like to cover is what does your portfolio look like? I know you told me on the pre-call, you're like six months away from being financially free at 25 years old. And because yep. this is going to be so relatable, one thing too that you've done that I think is fantastic is you set your financial freedom goal at 5,000 a month. Some people set it a lot, lot higher. Sometimes they need to because they have wife, kids, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the lower you can set your financial freedom number, the quicker you can hit it. So define your financial freedom goal for the audience and then describe your portfolio. Yeah. So what I did is when I realized I was getting sucked in the golden handcuffs, I was like, I, I, I can't do this. Uh, and I, what I did is I reverse engineered, um, my, my expenses. So I, I started, I started, uh, writing down what my expenses were like groceries, housing, um, insurance, everything, everything that I spend. Um, I always started keeping track of that for a good six, seven months. Um, and that way I was able to tell, I was able to figure out, okay, how much, how much income do I need um, to to be financially free? Um, and so, just by keeping track of my expenses, um, I was able to, to to come to a conclusion that if if I put a bit of a buffer in there, five thousand dollars is more than enough uh, for me to be financially free. Um, and so, for me, once I once I reach that, um, I'm I'm gonna have an extra forty hours a week, which is a lot of time to continue to grow my businesses. Uh, focus on the real estate, and I know I know it's gonna it's gonna grow from there. But but that's basically um, the minimum amount that I need to just to just live comfortably. Um, 
And so for me, it was just reverse engineering how much I needed, uh, how, how much income I needed to cover my expenses. Absolutely brilliant stuff, man. So once you hit that goal, like what are your plans? Are you going to keep going or are you just going to ride off into the sunset? <laughs> no, I'm just going to keep going because I know if I, you don't, you don't want to like stopping would just, I would just get bored, I think. And I would just end up getting another job. Um, I wouldn't be able to just sit at home all day and watch movies and call myself retired. Uh, I would definitely, I'm definitely going to keep going in, in, into my businesses. Like I started a tenant placement service company uh, where we find tenants for other landlords. Um, I'm also doing wholesaling uh, and I'm also growing my rental portfolio. So those three buckets right there, like uh, to spend an extra 40 hours a week on those three items. Um, I, I really enjoy doing those. I just enjoy doing what I do. And so for me, it's not really work, but at the same time, there's a lot of, I, I just get paid for it. So it, it's just going to snowball from there. Absolutely, man. That's perfect. Um, I love what you have planned. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here because you just mentioned three buckets, man. Which of those three buckets is your favorite one? Um, I would say I go through seasons, but right now I, I, I wholesaling is um, one of my favorite buckets. And let me tell you why. So I realized that negotiating negotiation and, and sales uh, is a good skill to have. You could apply it to everything. Doesn't matter what what you're doing, what job you're doing, or, or whatever you're doing. Uh, being able to sell and and being able to negotiate is a really good skill to have. So uh, that's why wholesaling for me is I'm getting a lot of reps in. I'm getting a lot of appointments with sellers. Um, I'm putting myself out there. I'm taking. I'm I'm rolling with the punches. Um, and so it's just something that I've always wanted to work on. Um, I've naturally, I've, I've always been more introverted. Um, and so I, I said, I need to, I, I need to just improve my, my skills on, on uh, negotiation. And now I could apply that to, to the other two buckets. So um, everything kind of intertwines together. I love sales and negotiation. And so if you're willing to share any insights into your journey and your learning process, has it all just been experiential reps? Has there been books, YouTube videos? What's been your process to go from introverted to, uh, to out there taking the punches? I just learned to not identify with being an introvert. Like you, if you call yourself an introvert, you're naturally shutting yourself off. I, you're, you're capping yourself off. So for me, it was just like, I'm not an introvert. I'm just, I am what I am. Uh, and negotiation I learned is just, um, you're just talking to a friend and you're solving their problem. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, people that think a salesman is, 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 uh, being pushy and, and just trying to get, get the deal done. But at the end of the day, for, for what I realized and what works best for us, uh, is just being friend, being friends with the seller. Like literally, you just want to get to know them, and you're also trying trying to see how you could solve the problem. So uh, for us, that's that's what I've learned, and it's been the best method so far. Super solid, man. Rapport, rapport, rapport. So there's no doubt you're 25 years old. You're already like within 2023 going to hit your financial freedom goal. And as most people who have been down the investing road know. 
the first part of the journey is like this. And then all of a sudden the hockey stick points upward, your hockey stick is already basically pointing upward now at this point. So who knows? I mean, Tim, can you imagine it would have been like to have this guy's mindset, knowledge, skills at 25? Like we weren't even, that wasn't even on the horizon for me at 25. So like, I have no doubt you're going to end up with probably a billion dollars in the bank and like a hundred lifetimes of cash flow. Like when you get there, what, what do you think your life's going to look like when money is absolutely no option? For me, at the end of the day, it's just, I, I really want to travel and uh, be able to go where I want, when I want, with whoever I want. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, you don't want to be alone in your private jet either, right? Like you want to, <laughs> like, it's nice to have all the money, but it, the, what's what's most important is being surrounded with the right people. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's once I reach, once, once, once money is not a, uh, a problem or whatever, once it's in abundance, it, it is always in abundance. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just going to be able to do what I want when I want, um, and just travel, explore the world. Um, and I, I think that as I grow, as I grow, as everybody grows, our goals always change. And so in five years from now, you might ask me the same question. I might say something else. Uh, but for now, I know that uh, the next step for me is just to leave the nine to five and then just focus on my businesses and go from there. Absolutely, man. I mean, if, if your goals aren't changing every five years, that means you haven't changed, um, which means that you're doing something wrong. Um, <laughs> that is without a doubt. Um, so Matt's the sales guy, more of a marketing guy. So I'm just kind of curious, like what kind of off market strategies are you using to find these wholesale deals? Uh, so we're doing a lot of flyers. Um, so I think with flyers, the, the, the main thing is you want to do a lot of volume and you want to do a, being consistent as well. Um, so it is capital intensive, um, upfront, um, with, with this company here, I, I work for, um, it, it, it's mostly just flyers. Um, on my personal side, uh, finding off-market deals, I've done uh, direct mailers. So what I've what I've done is I found properties in in the area, and I've sent a direct mailer to that property, um, and I was able to find another one of my unicorn deals that way. Um, I've also done for you guys. It's called Craigslist. We have Kijiji out here, um, so calling rental ads and just asking them if they want to sell. Um, I've, I've been able to purchase a nice sixplex, uh, that way, just, just from following up with, with rental ads. Um, another way is calling, uh, just people on your power team. Like, let's say you have a, a, a junk removal guy, um, calling him up and letting him know, Hey, if ever you come across, um, a property that you think needs, a, needs a lot of work or is in distress, let me know and I'll pay you a referral fee. Um, so at the end of the day, it's just putting, just uh, you want to be like everywhere. <laughs> like, as, it's just marketing, right? You just want to be uh, in top of mind of everybody you know. Let everybody you know you're looking for properties. Um, pay for advertising if if you have the capital. Um, and being consistent is the biggest thing. Like you could try a strategy, but it's not going to work if you only do it once. You you want to be consistent with whatever you choose. Absolutely, man, a hundred percent. 
So when you first said flyers, I was thinking you were doing direct mail and that was some Canadian slang. You guys just spoke differently. But it sounds like you're actually talking about like handing out flyers. I need to hear more about this because I have not heard anybody else do that. <laughs> no, when I say flyers, I mean like um, we call it like the shotgun approach where we get certain postal codes or for you guys, it's zip codes. And we just um, just send out a bunch of flyers to those zip codes. Um and but what what I mean by direct mailer is direct mailer is when I actually um, have um, a, a specific flyer that goes directly to a specific property, and I use a stamp, and it's more personalized. It's more direct to the seller um, versus a flyer. When you get a flyer in the mail, it's more like oh, it's just another company. Um, it's 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 just like with with the grocery flyers. It's just another flyer but when you do direct mail it's more personalized um it's handwritten um it that the seller feels like it was more intentional i'm following you much closer now because yeah i mean any flyer i get in the mail it goes in the garbage immediately i don't even think i ever look at it <laughs> so um that absolutely makes sense i was like super curious about like the idea of somebody handing out flyers and being able to sell houses just... <laughs> so thank you for clarifying well, we I've also done door-to-door uh, door knocking and yeah. uh, dropping off flyers in person. Um, that strategy is is efficient if you if you're consistent with it. Um, but that's the biggest thing. It's it takes a lot of time. So it's either you need to have a lot of time or you need to have a lot of capital to invest in marketing. Absolutely, man. You got time or money or resources or relationships, right? I mean, that's pretty much what you got. Yeah. Um, absolutely, man. So thank you for sharing so much about that. Um, so Eric, what are your plans for like the next 12 to 18 months? What are you working on building over there? Right now, just focusing on on the wholesaling, on a leasing company, uh, my own portfolio. Um, I'm currently in the middle of a, I guess you would say a value add project. Um, my, my sixplex, uh, apartment building, um, I have a few turnover, I had a, a few turnovers in that, in that property. So I'll be refinancing that property when I'm all done. Um, and so th those, those three items there is basically what I'm focusing on. And of course, leaving my, my nine to five job so I can double down on what I, what I have going on here. So dude, I was just really impressed with this guy, 25 years old, dad dies at 10, doesn't have direction and still, you know, has the wisdom to seek out mentors, books, et cetera, to propel him. I mean, the fact that at 25, even let alone, you know, what happened to him, that he has the ownership mindset versus the victim mindset and all of the other identity related and strategy related things that he has going on for him is just, it's really remarkable. Absolutely. Um, and he said like the whole fatherhood journey was like really a six to 18 month journey before he decided to ditch being a victim and he started to become a survivor essentially. Right. Um, and that is a true, I mean, that, that timeline is actually ridiculous to think about it in context because he was only 10 years old when he lost mm -hmm. his father. Yeah. And I think about it, I mean, cause I have a 10 year old, I have a 13 and a 10 year old. So I have, I have two literally the exact same ages as you know, when he lost his dad. So I was actually thinking about myself dying during the episode and what would that be like for them? You know? So yeah, it was pretty wild. I kind of wonder now I want to, now I wish I would have asked like, you know, what was it that motivated you to move from kind of wallowing and 
to actually like going into this ownership mindset. Yeah, dude, that would have been a great question. <laughs> and then the other thing too is like, just thinking about people that grow up without dads, whether it be through death or through the dad, maybe just being, being gone. Like what a great example that he set. You don't have to learn everything from a person that's in your life. Yeah. It's a lot better. It's a lot more enjoyable for sure. I can't even relate emotionally to what that's like. I had a father obviously that was present my entire uh, childhood, but if you don't have it, like he has set the groundwork for the fact that you still can come out with just incredible talent, skill, wisdom, that it's, it's not, you don't have to be dependent on your circumstances. You could be dependent on your actions. And I just thought that was like a tremendous thing. Oh, 100%. I think because he was, you know, the opposite of the statistics, right? Because the statistics yeah. for somebody that grew up without a father are terrible across the board. They graduate school less. They go to prison more often. They're more often drug addicts. They have mental diseases more often. Um, and the fact that he was able to overcome that and doesn't appear that he's going through any issues has been just a tremendous thing to, to witness. Yeah. I mean, he seems to balance the concept of time and money very well. So, you know, he gave the quote, don't, doesn't want to be alone in a private jet. Like he obviously knows he's going to be very, very successful because of the success he's had so early in life, but he also keeps it in perspective. I thought that was such an interesting and clear picture of what it's like to make the mistake of chasing money too much and, and giving away too much of your life towards wealth building. Absolutely. I think that is one of the biggest regrets of wealthy people when they die because they tend to work and they grind it out. And unfortunately, when you're working all the time, your family doesn't end up loving you that much. So the fact that he made that connection at 25, I could tell you, I could guarantee you one thing. I would have just loved to have the private jet. I wouldn't care if I was alone or not. So I mean, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's ahead of me at the same age, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard too, because I think for a lot of people, they're they're not they they wouldn't choose to be alone, but they just don't recognize that's the choice they're making. They just mm -hmm. don't recognize that they will lose their, their wife. They'll lose their relationships with their kids. They'll lose all that stuff. They just feel like, well, I'm still connecting to them in some ways. I'm still doing this. And they just don't wake up and realize what they've really lost. And that's why you and I have interviewed people that have spent time with people that are dying, like in hospice situations and these other scenarios. And, and that seems to be the recurring theme is, hey, you know, this is how people that are dying feel. And it's pretty mm -hmm. likely that, you know, if the vast majority of people who are dying feel a certain way, you probably will too. And so you can learn the lessons. There was actually a quote that I heard. I can't remember where I heard it, but it's basically they said a smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And so oh, yeah. a wise man would, would take stock of the people that are dying and what they feel like is important now that they're at their deathbed. It'd be so crazy too. Like if you could, if you could talk to the people after they had passed away and find out then like what was oh, really important, dude. you know? Um, well, that sounds like super interesting. So I've heard this story from multiple people now um, that have worked in hospice or something like that. But like, I think it's pretty much unanimous. Everybody's biggest thing on their deathbed is regret. Like there's, it's always yeah. something they didn't do. They didn't take care of the kids enough. They didn't spend enough time with their wife. It was something like that. It's not, I didn't make enough money. I didn't buy enough houses. It's always a relationship based yeah. item typically, or, you know, like a bucket list thing that they never did. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on, man.
absolutely tremendous stuff, man. Thank you for sharing your goals. Um, you're certainly on pace to accomplish them. Um, leaving your nine to five at the age of 25, dude, that would be amazing. So just just be aware of that. Like you're you're kicking my ass at the same age. Um, um, Eric Cologne, man, um, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. So commit to taking one action that you learned from today's episode and do so within the next seven days. Commit to taking that action. Tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one.